0: And we're talking about the clarity of light today. Notice the C's we've got going on, the calling of light, the confidence of light. And today we're going to be talking about the clarity of light. Light itself illuminates the truth. It calls me to a truer me in Jesus. And so this message is a little challenging today if we had to label this message I wouldn't say it's a typical Christmas message, but I believe God is preparing us for a new season. We've been praying this concept of reset this nation. Have you prayed that prayer? Reset this nation, because if you have, that's what we're in right now. We are in a resetting. There is turbulence right now. There is a shaking that goes beyond any understanding that we have experienced in our lives. And so God is shaking us up uh, in preparation for the move that he is about to bring for his kingdom come. So it's good news. It doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel good. But light brings clarity. Light brings clarity. And so 2020 has truly been a year of clarity and seeing. How many of us pastors were joking about 2020 vision? Have we not seen what the world is like? We've seen on display all of humanity in its brokenness and its selfishness. We've seen it in its scaredness and its fear that is ex- exuding from it, that it doesn't know what to trust in, what to have its hope in. And we have seen how much of a Christian nation we are not that science is the answer, that everyone else bar God is the answer. And so we're seeing that more and more calm arise. But I want to bring some positive news today. I want to highlight, and so I did a Google search this uh, week to find positive news. So can I share with you some positive news in 2020? Let's have some of this. So first one off, um, keeping it in maybe in the sickness pandemic arena, malaria. Malaria has been one of this, Deadly uh, things that we experience in this world um, just through uh, unclean waters and uh, the way that lives are lived. And so we have seen over two decades a 60% drop in malaria deaths. At the beginning of 2000, a million people would die from malaria every single year. And that figure has dropped 60%, just under, to 400,000 People they think one point five billion cases have been averted. deaths have been averted because this world has come together and started to give started to outreach. We know there 's many projects of renewing water uh, activations of just kindness and compassion to the nations that need it so that is good news second good news there is plastic eating particles plastic eating enzymes have been found bacteria that actually eat plastic for all of you greenpeace renewable energy people in the room i know you love this kind of thing but there is a way that is more of a natural way pastor craig talked about how we need to steward this world well and so there is an excitement that we can begin to renew energy that we can begin to transform this world and so that is happening Third story here, this cool little dude, Tyler Stallings. I don't know if you have seen him or heard about his news. This guy is amazing. So at four years old, he got in his heart, and I don't know many four-year-olds who get this in their heart, but he wanted to help homeless veterans with hero bags. And so he has collected money, and at nine years old, this year, he has raised over $100,000. Now, we might see that it's him and his family that have done that. Like It's not like some broad thing, and it is growing, which is so cool that at nine years old that he decided that he wanted to raise money to give these essential hero bags to these homeless veterans. He saw a veteran at four years old who was homeless and thought, that is not right. At four years old. This is what our culture is rising as well. There might be all conflict, but there are these heroes that are rising up to make a difference in this world another story a positive that's actually come from the pandemic and many of you would have experienced this as well there's been a growing connections in community during this pandemic uh, a research done by I remember a charity of 2000 people found 50% have grown closer to their neighbor it also revealed that just more than half the people believe and are more appreciative of their local communities charities due to covid and 47% are consciously choosing to value smaller things in life this has been an amazing kind of heart check about community there has been never a greater push to serve our community, to serve our neighbor, to love people. And so I've loved getting to see that. We should celebrate that. We don't see enough of that. We see just all the torment and the division. But actually, like uh, with Roland's in this area, just at a local restaurant wanting to give Christmas meals out to those who can't afford Christmas. like. Within us, we desire to serve another person. And finally, my uh, favorite story of all of these, um, meets a 103-year-old lady from Massachusetts. She beat COVID recently. And she's celebrated by drinking a Bud Light. What an amazing woman. Can she be my grandma? She is a great-great-grandmother. She has great-great-great-grandchildren. She is amazing. And so at 103, she celebrates, and it looks like she's in a hospital as well. So that was a good sneaky picture right there. But isn't that good news? Because it matters what we illuminate. It matters what we highlight. And so for you today, I would encourage you to be searching for the good news. The good news that is coming into our world. Because what we highlight in our soul matters. This is a fundamental truth that what we focus on, we become. We all know this be true. That you who say, I don't want to be like my dad, I don't want to be like my mom, you become that as you focus upon it. And so what we focus on, we become, and it's like a magnifying glass. I don't know if you as a child, my kids haven't done this, and maybe it's due to the age that we live in, but getting magnifying glass and being little pyromaniacs. You start burning up leaves. You start burning up uh, little sticks and things like that. Bugs, you start popping ladybugs and things like that. Was that just me growing up? Okay, didn't know if it was an English thing, but it's fun. And so it's amazing, though, when we focus light it becomes powerful. When you focus and clarify light, it becomes powerful. And so the text that we're going to be in today is Ephesians chapter 5. So you can turn there. But while you're turning to Ephesians chapter 5 today, I want to start the story that would help frame our viewpoint of this passage today. And So I want to tell you about a story of Crystal Jones. You see on the picture here, this is Crystal Jones. Um, And she lives in Atlanta. Uh, She worked for a Teach for America Foundation. A Teach for America Foundation is volunteers that are able to go into lower income communities to be able to volunteer and serve of their time um, to be able to facilitate them. And so she went into the Atlanta school, this school that was very um, poorly run, just poorly funded. And she volunteered her time to be a grade one teacher. And so this is before kind of in her early days of volunteering, came out of college and went straight into um, this field. And this school that she went into did not have a kindergarten. And so it was grade one. And so just to let you know of what she was kind of facing right there, um, she had this classroom of students who were not equipped for grade one whatsoever. In fact, she wrote this, that two or three could recognize kindergarten cite words like dog and and ball. Some could hold a pencil. Most could not hold the book the right way up. Some did not have the behavior to actually sit in the classroom. And some did not know their alphabet or numbers. None of them were ready for the first grade. So as a teacher, what would you do in that moment? Run, pray really, really hard. God, what on earth have you got me Into. And so she had like a psychology uh, major. And so she started to think like a first grader. Who do they think they are and who do they wish they could be? Who do they think they are and what do they think that they could be? And so she was watching them on the playground between the first and third graders. And it just dawned upon her as she saw the first graders interact. She's like, of course, they want to be third graders. We know this to be true, right? When you were growing up, you always wanted to be that year older. You wanted to hang out with the cool kids who were older than you. My children, Elijah, like I'm a lot older than him, but when Liam comes around, I'm dust. Like no one cares about what I have to say anymore. Our children care about our peers that are closer to us. And so she took that whole concept, which is absolute genius, and she decided to shape her curriculum around a third grader. To begin to say to them, this is what we are going to do. She set out before the first graders, you guys are going to become third graders. They might be smarter than you. They might know more than you. And they're like, yeah, yeah. But do you want to be a third grader? Yeah, I want to be a third grader. So she got this cheer rallying happening around in the room. And she also changed the language of how they spoke to one another. They didn't call each other by their first names anymore. But they would say Scholar Johnson or Scholar Smith. And so they referred to each other by scholar and then the last name. But she also had a montage. Every single morning, they would recite what a scholar is. A scholar, it loves to learn. They're really good. They live to learn. And so every day, they would bring this montage with this concept to be a third grader. And by November, she knew that she had them. Because when there would be like missing of school, when they had to miss, they would get really upset because they don't want to fall behind because I'm going to become a third grader. And by March, all of them had passed a reading comprehension and all had passed grade one reading from these people. And that's amazing, right? Because this isn't just like um, families that are uh, encouraging them they're in low income surroundings probably broken homes at home they're probably not getting the encouragement to learn and so for these guys who didn't know what their numbers couldn't be, begin to hold a pencil hold the book the right way around this transformation that happened to them because the light was shined upon identity the light was shined, and the lens that we want to use today for Ephesians chapter five is exactly this story, because we so often want to draw light to the action in our lives, rather than the identity. And I know that we're talking a love language for many in the room about identity, but so often we try and change the problem, the action, rather than the identity issue. And Paul, who is the writer of Ephesians, writing this letter to Ephesus. He is a big believer that you are a new human. Paul in all his writings believes and uses over and over again that you are a new creation, that the old has gone, that you are new and made new. He believes that you are a new human. Do you believe that this morning as a Christian, that when you receive Jesus into your heart, do you believe that you are a new type of human? And so Paul believes that behavior issues are surface, but the root core issue is identity. Paul believes that the way you believe, behave, sorry, is rooted in who you think you are. That's profound, and the scriptures know this to be true. And so with your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5, Pastor Craig talks about bringing your Bibles. So for you guys holding, would you like to get your phones out today? For everybody to bring your phones out, Bible. Everyone should have a Bible on them right now. And There will be words on the screen, but I'd love for you to read along because maybe you've got a different translation. Maybe you've got something that will speak to you out as you read this passage because we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us as we are talking. So let's just invite him here this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here with us. Lord, these are just difficult and trying times, but we are thankful that the light has come. That even in the darkness, your light shines brighter. And as we read this passage today, would you illuminate in our hearts today? Would you even speak something to us? Even as I am sharing today, would you imprint something on the hearts of your people today? Those in this room, to those listening online something fresh would illuminate in our hearts today we thank you in Jesus name amen so ephesians chapter 5 but i want to start in verse 7 because paul uses the language of us being light and in verse 7 it says therefore do not be partners with them for you were once darkness but now you are light in the lord live as children of light live as children of light. Do you believe that you're children of light? Does that sink inside of you that when you hear that phrasing, that word that you are children of light? I love that we've upgraded from sheep. Jesus always referred to us as sheep. And now I feel like it's a little bit of an upgrade. Comparison of sheep to my children and maybe just a smidge here and there. But still that we are elevated and called Children. And this is a phrase that the the biblical writers use over and over again, this idea of a child, that you are part of a family, that you have a father, that you have someone that dearly and deeply cares for you. I love children because that shows our dependence on another. It shows our need for another in our walks, but it shows that we are deeply loved. And in this passage today that we're going to be looking at, I'm going to be jumping backwards to go forwards. We're going to be going back to verse 1, but I just wanted to plant ourselves here first. That you are a child of light. To affirm yourself today that you are a child, that this is the identity that we are going to be looking at. If I was the teacher today, this is what I would be confessing over you. You may feel like you are darkness. You may feel like you are a kindergarten, but you are a child of light. And I want us to call us higher today in that. And so Paul is about to give you a sandwich of encouragement. Have you ever been given a sandwich of encouragement? You have this encouragement of who you are. Maybe what you need to correct and change, and then another wonderful affirmation again. And so Paul is doing this. This is at the end of his little encouragement about it. And if we go to verse 1 here, he starts, for God's, Follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Follow God's example. Therefore, as again, dearly loved children. The beautiful message of the gospel is that you are justified. Over and over again, through faith, justification comes. That In Leviticus 12, God speaks over the children of Israel and says that I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is so simple but fundamental to how we walk out our lives because we so often believe that we need to have action to be justified. I know all of us in our heads believe that we are justified but yet we don't live that way. Christmas is an amazing reminder of this that Jesus came that we might be justified before God. Justification, children of the Most High, is our identity. But our natural response as humans in our human heart is to function in our own strength. If I live a certain way, God will accept me. And God says, I've accepted you. I've transformed you. I am transforming you. And I empower you to be all you're called to be. He is Lord. And so when we know that we are a child, we know that there is a father, that there is someone that we give ourselves to that the scripture over and over again says that we are honor our father and mothers, that we are to come into alignment in their leadership in their offering. And so we're meant to follow their parameters, we're meant to follow the guidelines that God gives us. And the funny part is that his parameters, his goodness is what creates freedom. His boundaries and what he calls us to motivates us to experience the fullness of love. But often we see in this world a motivation of fear. A funny story of one of my friends growing up. um, He had an irrational fear of escalators. Is that the right word, escalators? I forget what you guys call again. Sometimes I have to switch between the two languages. Escalators, going up. And um, so he was told, because he was like quite a hyperactive kid... um, And he told me this story. It was was amazing. And his grandma um, was looking after him one time. And he was playing around the escalators. And she pulled him aside and said, if you don't stop playing around, you're going to end up like this old lady who got her heel caught in the escalator. And she was minced to meat. Have you ever heard those irrational fear things told, these tactics used? And so for years, he had this irrational fear of stepping off on Tiesco to make sure that he didn't get grounded into a hamburger meat. Have you ever been told this as well? Don't put your arm out the window or your arm will get ripped off because uncle so-and-so and so-and-so, that happened to them. Or the one that you know we always loved as a kid, don't pull your face like that because it will get stuck like that. You know, these irrational fears that we motivate our children, I do it as a parent, the irrational fears to tell people, this is how I'm going to motivate you to be transformed. This is how it's going to work. But all it does, it, con- it creates contempt towards it. But this is the messaging that we have used over and over again as the church to draw people into the kingdom of God. Don't do this. Be this. Be this. And so we live in this kind of constant fear that when we come in, and and to be honest, on a Sunday morning, the biggest thing that we always have to wrestle, and I find like our prayer constantly is this, God loves you. Like even in the prayer room, we have to constantly remind ourselves to not perform. We have to constantly remind ourselves that God's arms are open. Isn't that strange? Like for the leadership team and the people in this room, I've walked with you for years, and that has always been every Sunday, this prayer. Because I think it speaks to a true reality of what the world speaks. If you act right, you will be loved right. And the gospel is counter to that. The gospel is the prodigal father who says, My arms are open towards you. You are my child. You are dearly loved. As this passage goes on, it says, To walk in the way of love. This invitation of community. The first time we see the word walk used in is in Genesis as God walks towards Adam and Eve who have sinned against him, who have run away and in shame away from God. But yet God walks towards these his children and he comes to bring them back to who he wants them to be. And that is always the desire of God that he is walking towards us. But walking is a great reminder for us in love. You can't run in love. There is walking in love. Um, my wife, Rachel, is a lot shorter than me. Uh, she is five foot two. I'm six foot four. And so walking together is always an interesting challenge. Because for me, I'm not only six foot four and have a lot longer legs, but also I walk with purpose, I like to say. I want to get to a place quickly. In fact, I see it as wasting time. So I'm gunning ahead. You will always find me at the front because I also want to find out what's happening where I want to get, right? Anyone? Who's fast walkers in the room? Fast, very good. Love this. this is why I love you guys. Fast walkers. We want to get to where we are. But if I want to walk with Rachel, it's kind of clunky at first because I have to really slow right down. And she's like, you're making fun of me, aren't you? And I said, no, I'm not. I just, I need to get in step with you. And the frustration inside of me to move faster and to keep wanting to get there. But yet Paul brings this language so beautifully into that moment. Because this is how we experience love with him. It's walking with him. There is actually motion that has to occur in your relationship with him. You have to be walking in God. You can't just stand there. It's kind of two types of walkers. There are people that can't be bothered to walk, who are just like when you go for a family walk. I don't know if in England we we just love to walk, right? This has always made fun of me. I will park further away so I can walk to the store. Um, I love to go on walks. And so often there are people like who just don't want to even get up and walk. They're just like, I just want to sit here and not walk. And they're the ones that just walk too fast, who are just trying to always stay ahead of God and what he's doing. And so the invitation is to get up and walk, but not to run, not to try and drive your own agenda, but to actually slow yourself down. There's a wonderful book that talks about the speed of love is three mile an hour, the pace of a walk. For us to slow ourselves down and experience this love. So you are children of God and you are to walk in community, in intimacy with the Father. I love that it goes on in this verse. Just as Christ loves you, He gave up Himself. This agape love. There is no greater agape than a man to lay down his life The New Testament writings of love is to give of yourself. It's more than just a feeling. It's more than just emotional highs, but it is an action to give of who you are. And so Paul is setting up identity. This is what it means to be children of light. This is what it means to be this. And this is fundamental 101 stuff for many of us in this room. This is an amazing reminder that we need to get in our hearts that if I can leave you with anything today, you are a child that is loved and you are to walk in the way of his love. And so we're getting into the, the challenge of the scripture on a Sunday morning. So we go into verse three here. But among you, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality On a Sunday morning, Johnny, really we're going to do this? Yes. Or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper, again, identity for God's holy people. Sexual immorality. It's a tough one that we hear in this world. Poinia is the Greek word and that's where we get our word porn from. This word and this culture, we have redefined, even when I say this word, what sexual immorality meant. For a reader of this, and maybe even 10, 20 years ago, would know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, for you who grew up in youth groups, suddenly a cold sweat comes over you of the videos that you had to endure of, through the teachings of what this meant. Don't do this. Sexual immorality is anything sexual outside of marriage between man and a woman. Christianity has the highest sexual ethics compared to any other religion. And it causes us to understand more of what God is. Sex outside of marriage... Is what I in, in these three words that the writer Paul uses: sexual immorality, kind of impurity, and greed. Those three, I feel like, is summarised by greed. We have this need and desire for my own self-satisfaction. My own self-desire fills and met. And that's why we're seeing more and more in the world of people not getting married, having sex before marriage, because we're told that get your fill, get your love, get your experience inside of you. Ever since the 1960s and obviously before, but the freedom of love to just do what you feel feels good, to go experience whatever you want to experience, to partake whatever feels right for you. And since then, we have seen the break of the family, you know, higher than 50% of divorce that happens because if you're not happy in your marriage, if you're not happy in your relationship, go find someone else who makes you happy. And that's the message that we exude over even in this world. And so we lose the idea and the mentality. And growing up, you know, we were taught, not necessarily this, but again, I heard of someone who has said this, if they had sex before marriage, they would burn in hell. That's the kind of teaching, maybe for some of you, maybe even heard that teaching, that if you do wrong, God won't love you. And again, this is not what Paul is speaking about. But he, again, is addressing an issue that is deep inside of us, an identity issue. Because greed is... So, Satan cannot create anything new. He just distorts what already is there. If sex is the embodiment of giving yourself... To Another person being vulnerable, unashamed, completely giving yourself wholly to that one person until you both, you know, shall live. Idea if you give yourself wholly to that, sacrificing, deciding to love that person, that is agape love. We all agree this in this room, but yet there is this culture that comes through more and more that, as we said, says, Take what is yours, and so that is why we're seeing the fundamental breakdown of our human. Get my feel. Get my gain. And it's not just in the sexual realm. Though This is the example that Paul is using. We think about my time as well. My greed for my time. What I need to get done. What makes me feel good. The, the gain for my self-improvement. We are hyper- Self, individual world, at least millennials, we are experiencing that. And that's not going away. It's just increasing more and more. And that's why we're seeing depression, anxiety rise up because the self was not meant to be highlighted. It was never meant to be clarity. And so for the older generation, I know you're telling our generation, stop being so self-absorbed. And we need to hear this more and more. But it's so easy for us to creep in about myself, my game, my self-improvement, even my wisdom. This creeps into our Christianity. Do we search scripture just for my own self-gain, my own self-wisdom, my own self-knowledge? That was a conviction for me this week. That so often I go to the uh, scriptures to have wisdom. To have something for me to give. Rather than to give away. To allow this deepness of what it means to be a child of light, take hold of me. I want to show people the love of God and not have this idea of greed, take for me what is mine, over and over again. And so we need to get to the root, and when we're talking about identity, to be a child of light, the opposite of greed is generosity. The opposite of greed is generosity. And when we know the generosity of grace, Knowing that a father loves us, that he has all the provision that we need, how great the love the father has for us is what we need. Because if we want to see change in our lives, if we want to see ourselves move from an idea of wanting to take and always checking our feel, because we're never going to feel feel, right? We're never going to feel fulfilled. We're never going to be those people that feel satisfied and we will always be purchasing more. We will always be looking for that next feel good, that next Netflix series that we can get lost into. I'm guilty of that. A good story. Can I just begin? And these are, you know, some of these things aren't even wrong. They're good things. But when we let it take place of a father's provision and love, we miss the point of being what it is, a child of light. So what is it in your life maybe today where you feel like the Holy Spirit's checking you? Because if we want to be people that shine light, if we truly want to be a difference, because we believe in this church, we're transforming people who transform your worlds. You're not just saved to go to heaven. This is what we fundamentally believe in this church. We believe that you are called to bring kingdom, God's kingdom, here on earth. And that means by living a separate set of ethics and morals. Not just to be a good Christian, but to exude a father's love. Remember, we talked about a fear. If we're driven by fear, it will leak out of us doing the right things, but when we exude a father who is generous towards us, who called us when we were in our most broken and our most vulnerable, when he was there and never left us nor forsaken us, when he has good intentions towards us, do we exude that as our fundamental starting point for change? Do we let that be identity or do we try and do behavior correction? Because all of us are in work in progress, right? We're all needing change. And so I feel like it's fundamental that we get this Father heart right. Matthew 6, Therefore do not be anxious, saying what shall I eat, what shall I drink, or what shall I wear, for the Gentiles seek after these things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Generous people who give. Give of themselves, give of their time, give of their finances. So one of the, Herear mark greatnesses of God is a giving God. Out of relationship in the Trinity, He gave creation. For God so loved the world that He gave. It is a reminder to us that there is a giving that overrides. And when we understand how much of a good God that He is that He gives to us that we can begin to reorientate the way that we live in the way that we always feel like we need to hold to and hoard. A greedy person isn't just someone that hoards money, but they hoard everything in life because the fundamental truth is that we don't trust that God is a good providing father. That is the fundamental lie and identity that we need to transform, that God has the provisions. Do you know I speak over this church that God has the provisions for this finances? I speak over your lives that God is good enough to be the provider for your finances. He alone is your provider, resting in Him. And, you know, we've got the layers of sanctification, the layers of spiritual formation that happens. We've got the kind of the, the, the gross high sins. We've got the conscious sins. We've got the subconscious that we don't realize things sins. But beneath all of those surfaces is a trust issue in our father. There's a fundamental trust issue that we all wrestle with, and more so now with a a fatherless generation, that this message of a father who loves and cares is the deep root to all our greed, to all our need to take, because truly we don't always believe that God is fundamentally good. so Paul is lining up. Hey, this is you. You are a child of light. You are a child that is loved. Walk in this sacrificial love and you will find fulfillment. Don't go to the way of the world that says just take, 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 and you'll feel happy because you will never feel satisfied. But walk in the identity that I have called each and every one of you by name. That I know the plans and the purposes I have for you. As we move on in the passage here in verse 4. It talks about your talk. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Right, already I've probably lost a ton of the room right there. You're just like... That was great. Already, number one was super hard, you know, in my life. But this one, this is the one that gets me every single time. How can I interact with my friends and co-workers? Because there's all sorts of talk that goes on. How can I begin to interact with these people, Paul, when you're saying this kind of stuff? But remember, um, Ephesus, culturally as well, was known for a sharp tongue. I feel like they were British, we can insult you without you even realizing it. That's how good we are and how quick of a tongue. It's like a gift that God has really had to work on me. I don't know if it was a gift from him whatsoever, but I'm really good at rebuttals. And really, if you cuss me, I was really good at quick snap back to you. And God has really let that kind of die within me more so, more and more. But this is so difficult when I see him because it's so easy for us to begin to let talk change. In fact, it's probably the number one thing that you got pulled up if you're a Christian that grew up. Aren't you meant to be a Christian? You know, when you say that off-colored thing, when you start saying this, it's normally this is the first action that gets pulled up on us. James 3.5 says, the tongue, though small, can, be set, can set a forest on fire. Proverbs 18, death and life is in the tongue. I love that Ecclesiastes 5 says this, do not be quick with your mouth, Do not be hasty in your heart. And James, we know, says quick to listen and slow to speak. In an age of keyboard warriors or trolling, texting, the quick launch attack, we're never slow in our response. We want to be right. We want to be seen as the stronger person. And so the identity that we must wrestle with, With in all of this, where is our affirmation coming from? Why do we always need to be right? Why do we always need to be the person that one ups another person? Where does that issue come from? Is it a trust issue? That something in God that we don't believe that he affirms us? I I love it. And also, it's a pace thing. Do not be quick slow to speak. Again, if we come back to the point of walking in love. I know we do really well when we're in conversation and we're slow. You know, when we've got that that peace about us, we can let that, um, that cuss or whatever slip by. When someone insults you, you don't want to feel like... Or when we see that comment on Facebook, Holy Spirit's trying to hold you back, you've got peace in your heart, you don't always need to respond. But when you've had a hard day, when there's speed and momentum in you and you launch that comment back and then you're stuck with an endless rebuttal of comments stuck on Facebook. How many have been there this year? Just because you wanted to make that one comment because you knew it was good, but you were so quick in moving that suddenly you thought you could change someone's view on Facebook, which I'm afraid is never possible. But I love his response, but rather thanks giving. Thankfulness comes from a slowness of heart and 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 an abiding in God. Two people that I know just off the, the back right here, Anna and Joe are some of the best encouraging people that I have in my world. They're super intentional. They're not just like, good job, Johnny. They actually pull apart something of who I am and speak to that. I'm so thankful for their relationship. I'm thankful for them walking in my lives, because that's the kind of thankfulness that I want to have towards other people. Because again, it takes off the need of my own self, gratification, the sexual morality, the greed that comes into my life that I need to be filled. It removes that, and it takes it me outside of myself, and I speak life over another person. It denies me, and it elevates another. And this is the heart posture that we are to take. If we are to be people that bring renewal to this world, if we believe, and again, you are children of light. Don't believe the lie that this world is going in a handbag, hell in a handbag. Each one of us has a mandate in our worlds to be disciplers of disciples. That is your mandate. I can't speak that over you enough. Doesn't matter what kind of person you think that you don't know enough. Or you don't walk the right walk. I want to encourage you today that each and every one of you is called a child of light. You are called to bring light to darkness. You are called to be an influencer of influencers. Not because of you or how good you think you are. But because of God and who he calls you to be. This is, this is, this is fundamental to what we're doing about clarity of light. Let his light shine on you. Be loved children. Walk in his love. You are children of light. And so we come just to the end of this teaching here today. Verse 13 and 14 here today. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. Everything that is exposed by light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light feel as Christians, and what it means to be deeply human is to be naked and unashamed. Now, I'm not saying physically we start a, a colony of nudists. But to us, to be naked and vulnerable. When it's said in Genesis that they were naked and unashamed. That is Christian living, that we get to be who we are, warts and all. And loved still? Do you feel that Point View Church is a place where you can be naked and unashamed? Do you feel like you can have a crappy week, come in and say, Guys, I need to come. Can you pray for me this morning? I'm not doing good. Or do we feel like we have to have the fear motivation of do good and be accepted? Because when we illuminate who we are, all of us, right? And I think that's the most powerful gospel message illuminate everything. Don't illuminate parts of who you are. Illuminate the flaws and say, because of my good God, because of a stunning grace, which sees me as broken, yet is not a cheap grace, which says that it will keep me where I'm at, we can transform into the greatest things ever. You owe your world a transformed you. And it's only by this gospel of grace that you'll be transformed. My prayer is that we are always being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Through the sufferings that we walk, through the pains and trials that we walk, through the blessings that we experience in life, yet we walk differently. Yet we walk differently and it's not because of our strength. It is not because of anything that I am able to do. Because of such a good father who loves and loves me wholly, that he brings me to a place where I can be more and more naked and unashamed. To be holy, Johnny, before you. And that's my heart as a pastor. For me to be more and more vulnerable, to be someone that says, you know what, I want to lead the way in this. I know there's a good God. I don't want to just pray every Sunday, God, help me know that you accept me. Or that the doors are open for me. I want that to be so ingrained in our identities that that's not even a prayer anymore. That we know so deeply, intrinsically to us that we are walking with him in love. That we don't need to get, we can get past that prayer. And we can say, God, how do you want to use me today? I don't want to be a surviving Christian. I want to be a thriving Christian. I don't want to be someone that's just thinking about myself all the time and my self-gratification. But I want to be a Christian that looks out to be thankful, to be encouragement to other people. This is the culture that we want to create in this church. How can I show up today to be an encouragement to another person? I don't want to just get my fill for today, but I want to be a life giver. Regardless of the stuff that I'm going through in my world, how can I speak life and light to another person? Dallas Willard has this quote, and this is difficult, non- Discipleship is the elephant in the church. It is not that many moral failures, financial abuses, or amazing general similarities between Christian and non-Christians. These are only the effects of an underlying problem. The fundamental negative reality among Christian believers today is the failure to be constantly learning how to live their lives in the kingdom among us. And this is the accepted reality. We should intend to make disciples and let converts happen instead of intending to make converts and discipleship happen. We are not talking about the duties of the full-time ministers, but the duty of a friend, of a neighbor, of us all. It is not my responsibility to make disciples I will certainly coach you. And that's the culture again that we want to make. We keep talking about wanting to make converts. But if your life shines in such a way, people will be drawn to you. If you make discipleship this coming year or even right now today, say, God, I want to know that I am a child of God. If we want that to be our identity today, that we are children of light, how can we start that today? How can we start an identity change because that will bring converts into this church. You won't have any problems being fearful about, should I invite them to this church? Or how do I approach them at the water cooler talk stuff? Because it will so exude in your actions. Because you are, one, a generous person. And two, your language is different. Those are the two most notable things, I think, about a Christian walk. It's the illumination of identity that changes us. Christ. Birth and um, Joe said, as long as I mention nativity once, it becomes a, Christian mes- uh, a Christmas message. So here's the Christmas feel for Sundays here today. Let's bring it in to Christmas as we land today. The whole nativity is the beauty of a God who does not seek his own gain. In Philippians chapter 2, my favorite passage. That is not a God who is greedy. Yet he empties himself out, giving gratitude, giving all himself to this. The generosity of God, he holds nothing back, yet he gives fully of himself into that. And so we need to know that the illumination of identity changes us. It changes us. To shine is to be generous. Christ's birth showed the power of words. In this beautiful moment on a dark, uncomfortable night of uncertainty, of struggle and pain, there was words spoken by angels to a people group who were rejects of society. People who are just going about their normal day. Spoken to and encouraged that the joy of the world has come. That peace and good news has come to them. Those who are far and distant. Those who are rejected by society. The encouraging words of the gospel was spoken to the most rejected. This is the gospel. This is the power of the Christmas story. This is what we are called to live to. Maybe today you need to awaken that you're a child of light. And if that's your starting point, it is the greatest starting point. To move just beyond a Christian that calls themselves Christians, but to live differently. And this, this message is challenging. I know this is not easy to hear, and you can just let it kind of roll off your shoulders or whatever and say, you know, all right, okay, John, I'll see you next Sunday. Or you can decide to let the kingdom move through you. And experience the most life-giving life ever. But it has to start with your identity. It's not about performance changes or action changes. It's about identity. Get to grips that there is a loving Father who calls you by name. And maybe for you, you're a third grader now. Maybe you've elevated and walked along the Christian walk for a while. And you're further along. And God is saying, I want to call you to a fifth grader. Are you smarter than the fifth grader? The invitation is more for you. There is always more. And in this season, we have to have the clarity of light on our identity. Because the world is going to try harder and harder to tell you who you are. Its mission is to redefine your sexuality. Its mission is to redefine your viewpoints are here, so you must believe this. And you over here must believe this. Always trying to divide. Can we be people of identity that light, that brings unity? That stands in the gap, promoting still our conservative values. That we don't wishwash and lose who we are, yet we shine brighter because it is rooted in a foundation of love. There is more. This is not a hopeless moment. In fact, this is a gift that we live in right now. So, for you today, with every head bowed, I just want to pray for us. Father, help me know that you love me. Just that simple prayer today, God. That you have called me a child of light. Would you reaffirm that? That I don't need to perform for you, that I get to walk. In relationship with the eternal universe breathing, God. I get to commune with you. There are many different lights that are shining right now. God, would we know the true light that breathes upon us? God, we want to be a point view church. We want to point people to a new view. Would we be imitators of you, Jesus? What does that mean for each of us here today? Holy Spirit, just even right now, what does that mean? What is that one thing that we can start to change? Is it our words? Do our words need to be slower in response? Do they need to be more encouraging? Do they need to be more thankful? Over this Christmas period, how can I be more generous How can I be generous with my time? How can I show up to that family meal more present? How can I be less thinking about what I want or thinking about myself but listening to a friend, listening to a family member, listening and learning about their story rather than sharing my own point of view? How can I be more generous with who you have called me to be? Father, I just... Thank you for this season. Lord, this is a hard word to take. But Lord, it is sobering and it is refreshing. Lord, that you expect more of us than we can even expect of ourselves. God, I just thank you. Would you let your light just shine upon us right now? Reaffirm a good God who loves us deeply. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.